Well, amen. Great singing this morning. Thank you. Good to see you. Trusted. You're here means you didn't get flooded away last night. Man, we have had the rain, huh? And uh, grateful for the rain, grateful for God's promise that he won't flood the earth again, right? <laughs> I guess that doesn't mean that won't happen locally somewhere along the way. But, uh, but anyway, it's uh, great to have you here. Um, last week, we, uh, we talked, we began with this thought, those who failed to learn from history are condemned to repeat it. Winston Churchill in 1948, obviously talking to uh, Great Britain and the people of that land. But, but here's what Paul says. Um, those who failed to learn from Israel's history are condemned to repeat it. That's what Paul was saying to the Corinthians. And we might put our name right in there too. For us today at Heritage, for us who fail to learn from Israel's history, we can add from the church at Corinth's history, we are condemned to repeat it. And that's Paul's concern. And as we looked at that text, we're going to jump in again in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you have your Bibles with you, would you open them please? Or your phone, your tablet, whatever you have, your copy of the scriptures underneath the chair in front of you, there should be a Bible. If you don't have one, would like to follow along with us there. Page 798 is where we'll be there, page 798. And uh, as we look at this text, we saw last week Paul wanted the church at Corinth to learn from the history of Israel. So he rehearses uh, bits and pieces of Israel's history uh, with them. And he challenges them about that. He says to them in the first four verses, he says, look what God did. Look what God did. He wanted to remind them of, the, of all of the great things of God, the, the privileges, the advantages, the amazing benefits, how God poured out his favor all over the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament. Amazing truth. But then we get to verse 5 and we see, but nevertheless... Uh-oh. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness, and we said most of them. Talk about an understatement. That was all but two. Only two, Joshua and Caleb, who were 20 years of age and older, made it to the promised land. Only two. So God was not pleased with most of them because of their sin. And we look through that, verse 6, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And he goes on in verses 7 through 10 and lists those evil things that, that, that the nation of Israel put their hearts on, settled their hearts on, and kept them from entering the promised land. And, and just a side note on the promised land, many times people think that the promised land is a type of heaven. It's not true. It is not a type of heaven. It is a type of life on earth that God wants us to know and experience all of his blessings. That is what the, the, the type of, uh, of the uh, promised land, the land of Canaan that they didn't get to. It is not heaven. 
Those were already God's people and, and their death in the wilderness and the, and the reference to that has nothing to do with you and I sinning, not living our lives in a way that's pleasing to God and therefore not getting to heaven. That's not what Paul is talking about. And so as we move through that, verse 11, these things happened again, similar to what he says at the beginning of all those things that were Israel's history of walking away from God. Verse 11, like verse 6, he says, these things happened to them as examples. Israel, this happened to Israel, their history as examples, and were written down as warnings for us. So what are the warnings? Well, we're going to look at, again, we looked at that in rehearsing Israel's history. The first warning was Paul was concerned that they not, that he not be disqualified. He says in verse 27 of chapter 9, end of chapter 9, he said, I don't want to have preached the gospel. I don't want to have served God. I don't want to have started this church in Corinth and then myself be disqualified. Because I got caught up in putting my heart on evil things. And he's saying that is a possibility of being disqualified, of missing the prize. Maybe to the point of God taking him out. That's what God did to all those Israelites 20 years of age and older, except for Joshua and Caleb. And the warning there, he's illustrating in verses 10, uh, 1 to 13 of chapter 10. Paul is burdened about that. He doesn't want to waste his life. He doesn't want to miss the prize. He doesn't want to miss all that God had for him as a believer. And he says it bothers me. He's burdened about it. And he doesn't want the church in Corinth to miss out either. And for you and I today living in 2021, he doesn't want us to miss out. It bothered Paul and folks, it ought to bother us. Paul didn't want to be knocked out of the race because of sin, because setting his heart on evil things. And if Paul thinks he could fail, man, what about the Corinthians? Or what about us? Now, Paul wasn't perfect. And if we could have him here and ask him, he'd be the first to say so. He wasn't perfect. But we do know this. Paul lived his life in an amazing way and was obedient to God and pursued Jesus. And yet if Paul thinks he could fall, man, we ought also learn from that. The church at Corinth ought to learn. You and I as believers today ought to learn about that possibility. When he talked about the idolatry that existed in the nation of Israel, he talked about the immorality. He talked about them testing Christ, putting God to the test. Because of unbelief. That's what it was. Because of unbelief and disobedience. When he talked about their grumbling and the nation of Israel, it was like that was their pastime. It's just what they did. And Paul called him out on it. And he says, those are the kinds of things that will disqualify us, that will set us aside. Maybe even that God will say, okay, I've had enough. You're a child of God and you're not living like it. I'm taking you home. Now, that's not intended to be a, 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 a scary thought that, that we live every day and, man, we never know if God's going to take us home. That's not the point. What ought to concern us is that we live our lives 
as believers and not have anything to show for it. And Paul talked about that earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 when he talked about the judgment seat of Christ. And then he says, here's another warning, verse 12. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. If you say to yourself, if you think that could never happen to me. Because we look back at Israel and we watch what they did. We watch their refusal to go into the promised land when God had said, it's yours for the taking, just go. We watch their disbelief, their lack of faith, their lack of trust, and we'd say, how could they do that? Look at all the things that God gave them. So much, way over the top. And look what God's given us today in our salvation, the guarantee of eternal life, the forgiveness of sin, the potential of reward. As we stand before the Lord, what an amazing thing. And, and yet we say, how could Israel do that? And yet how can we live in unbelief? How can we live without claiming all that God has for us? And if we think that would never happen to me, we, we might be halfway to falling. We might be in trouble. We need to be careful, that's what Paul says, that you don't fall. Don't repeat Israel's past. Don't sin. Learn from the past. Learn that. Just because God has poured out his favor on you and I doesn't mean that we can't blow it. Now that's not God's desire, but it certainly can be our outcome. One writer said it this way, amazing spiritual experiences don't automatically result in obedient choices. We would think they would, right? Amazing spiritual experiences don't automatically result in obedient choices. We still have to say, God, I will obey. I choose to follow you all the time no matter what. So how do we stand firm? What will keep us from falling? What will keep us from sin? What will keep us from disqualifying ourselves? We read through those first 10, 12 verses and it's almost like, yikes, how do we, how do, we do this? I mean, can we really, as believers, really, Paul? I mean, you lay that out for us and, and that's why he gives us verse 13. And the outline we looked at last week, we talked about God's provision, the first four verses, God's judgment. Verse 5, Israel's sin, verses 6 to 10. We just walked through that a little bit. The examples and warnings in verses 11 and 12. And here's where we're going to land today. One verse. One verse. And all God's people said, amen. <laughs> One verse. God's faithfulness. Chapter 10, verse 1, Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, and he goes on and rehearses all of what he just said in Israel's history, their, all their blessing and favor God poured on them, their sin, but he gets down to verse 13, and he still doesn't want them to be ignorant of this amazing truth. He wants us to be aware. This is great news and encouragement. Verse 13 may be a verse that you've heard, that you've used when you're tempted to sin, and, and, and man, grab hold of it because you don't have to sin. Why? Because God's faithful. That's what Paul's saying in verse 13. You don't have to sin 
because God's faithful. Now, this isn't the only place where we're told in Scripture that we don't have to sin. We've been promised victory. Paul says that. We don't have to sin. When we sin, it's because we choose to. Folks, nobody, no thing, no person, no law, no politician, no nothing can make us sin. We sin when we choose to disobey God. And that's what Paul is saying. No one makes you be an idolater. No one makes you be involved in sexual immorality. No one makes you disbelieve God and put him to the test. No one makes us fall or sin. We choose to sin. And it is critical that we understand that. You know, when we think about this, and when Paul's talking here, he says, verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out, a way of escape, so that you can endure it. He said, I don't want you to be ignorant of that fact. I want you to know this truth. I want you to grab hold of it. I want you to get it into your mind, in your heart. And I want you to hold on to this because you don't have to sin. God is faithful. Man, that ought to just encourage the living daylights out of each of us here. But I know, you know, it's a battle. Sometimes we feel like we, we are overwhelmed with the temptation to sin. And, uh, and as we even go back in Israel's history, as Paul was talking about it here, and last we looked at numbers and how, how they sent out 12 spies. Moses sent 12 spies, and, and 10 of them came back and said, we can't do this, we're scared to death, this is terrible, there's no way, they'll crush us. And two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, no, God said it's our land, he promised to give it to us, come on, let's go. And we know what happened from there is we rehearsed that God made because of their sin of unbelief. The nation of Israel, every adult 20 years of age and upward, did not go into the promised land and in 40 years died in the wilderness. And you say, wow, what hope is there? Listen, do you realize that Joshua and Caleb saw the exact same thing as the 10 spies who gave the negative report? They saw the big, walled, fortified, strong cities. They saw the enemy. They saw all of the enemy nations. They saw the giants. There were giants in the land. Huge men who were of, not of God, who were there in the land that they would have to overcome. Joshua and Caleb saw them too. And if you look back to Numbers 13 and 14, you'll see how they talk about that. God saw all of that. That scared the death out of the, the ten who, who convinced the whole nation not to go, to disobey God. But Joshua and Caleb saw that and they said, no, we can do this. Why? Because they knew God is faithful. Now, as we look at that verse, we read, there is no temptation that has overtaken you. No temptation has overtaken taking you what's that word temptation well it's to sin one of the misuses of this verse is anytime things go bad we claim this verse this is temptation for sin all right 
But the idea of that is this, trials or temptations. The word is used because it has a beneficial, potential beneficial experience. It is divinely permitted or sent into our lives. That's what Paul is saying here about the church at Corinth. He says, there is no trial or temptation that God doesn't intend to use that would have a beneficial purpose in your life. The verb is used of testing the believer. It is used to, to, it's permitted by God to see whether or not Israel will choose to obey, whether or not the Corinthians will choose to obey, whether or not you and I will choose to obey. This, the Bible tells us that God doesn't tempt us to sin. That's true. James 1. But what we know is that God allows this temptation, these trials, these tests to show who we really are. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1. This is the idea of what, what uh, Paul is talking about. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, this is what Peter says. It, the, verses 3 to 5 are an amazing Amazing description of our salvation and all that we have in Christ. But then he says in verse 6, In all of this you greatly rejoice, all of the salvation benefits. But he says, Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now those trials were in the form of suffering. This was a rough time for the believers. And Peter's writing to encourage them, don't give up. Listen, you're a child of God. That's your identity. You know Jesus. He saved you. You've got an amazingly divine inheritance. The promise of heaven and all of that is there. So he says, in a, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Why? These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now he talks about greater worth than gold that perishes, even though refined by fire. He says, these trials have come to prove the genuineness of your faith, to test you and the reality of your faith in God. That's what Paul's talking about. God is not out ever to get us to sin. God doesn't put things or bring things into our life, allow things into our life to make us sin. That is never, never, ever God's intention. But falling and sin are a possibility. And that's why Paul is saying, but it doesn't have to happen because God is faithful. It is never God's desire or intent that we sin. No matter what the temptation or the test Maybe. He goes on. No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind. When you feel temptation, have you ever felt that, you know what, nobody ever else, nobody has ever experienced this like I have. You ever felt that way? Yes. Thank you for your honesty, right? Well, the rest of us are so, yeah, well, I guess, but sure. Sure we do. We always think that we're unique, that what we experience as it relates to temptation in our lives to sin, the test that God's bring, sometimes we feel, listen, I've had enough that's over the top, that I don't need that, and, and, and why me? The, God's 
dealing with me more than he's ever dealt with anybody else. This is just unbelievably amazing and different, unique. And Paul says, nope, nope. It's all common to mankind, to the human race. He's saying that's what's going on here. Our situation, our circumstances, our temptations are not unique. They're not different. They're not more than anyone else has ever faced. No, it is common to mankind. And in the midst of that, we need to understand because, folks, we never have to say, listen, I just can't do it anymore. I I just... I just can't do it anymore. Now, if I was asked for a raise of hands, how many of you have been at that point? I'm sure everybody's hand would go up. I'll put both hands up, right? Yeah. But folks, the promise of God here, what he's saying, what Paul is saying about God is that we never have to say, I just can't do it anymore. Not necessary. You can do it more. And we're going to see why in just a minute. Because God says, what you're, experience, what you're experiencing, the temptation, the test, the trial that you're feeling in your life, in your heart, in your mind, is common to man. You're not alone. It will at times be challenging. It will be very difficult. It could be really hard. It could be even the word grueling. I was just looking in a thesaurus. You know what that is? That gives you a book full of synonyms for words. And it's like, you know, what? well, I, I came up, I thought grueling. That's one of those words that just sounds like it feels. And that's how the temptation may feel in your life. You may believe it, but you never have to fall. You never have to sin, ever. Ever. That's what Paul wants the church to know. The church at Corinth, the church at Heritage. We never have to sin. You say, Glenn, how can you say that? Well, because the Bible says it, first of all. But secondly, because God is faithful. You see, never having to sin has nothing to do with us. has everything to do with God and his faithfulness. And that's the next part of the verse as it goes on. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. John, I can't get that illustration out of my head last week. You talked about having a, a whiteboard at the front door that we can just write on something we're praising God for. I think we could, I, I thought about doing it. I, I should have. Put the whiteboard at the front door and say, list a thing. And I, th- I, I didn't because I thought you'd need the whole whiteboard because my question was going to be, How has God been faithful to you? You can't say that in a word or two. We don't need paragraphs, right? We don't need our own four by eight 
whiteboard. Because we could fill it up. How has God been faithful to you? Wow. There's no end. And as we think about that, that's the deal. Any testing that comes on the believer in Corinth, any testing that comes in the believer at Heritage, any testing that comes on you and I today who know Jesus Christ will always be met with God's faithfulness. Always be met with God's faithfulness. This truth is based on God and his character. It's not based on who we are or what we've done. If we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful to us. And this promise is based on God and his power in our lives. You've got to see Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. What an amazing truth as we look at this. May be somewhat familiar. I, I don't know to you, but as we look at this, Paul's or, or um, uh, Jeremiah is talking about how bad things were. And you can read back in chapter 3 and see all of what's going on. He, said, he says uh, earlier in chapter 3 there, as, he, as he's describing all of this, he says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Ever felt there like that? Ever been there? But he says, verse 21, Yet this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. What is it that he calls to mind? It's like, what does Paul say he doesn't want the believers there in Corinth to be ignorant of? Here it is. What do I call to mind? Verse 22, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions or mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Woohoo! Huh? Great is God's faithfulness. New every morning are the compassions, the mercies. Every morning there's a new supply of God's mercy and compassion for us for the day. A whole new supply. God is faithful. And, and Jeremiah can't help go, great is your faithfulness. What an amazing story. Back in Genesis chapter 22, and you can write that down and look at it later, but let me just rehearse it briefly for you. Genesis 22 is a story about God telling Abraham to take his only, only son, Isaac, and go offer him as a sacrifice on the mountain. His only son to offer him as a sacrifice on the mountain. And in Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1, this is what we read. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. God tested Abraham. That's what Paul's talking about, I believe, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. 
It's talking about the temptations that come to sin. And here's the test. God, sometime later, tested Abraham. He said to him, he went in it, and there's where he said, he called Abraham, and he said, you go offer that son, the son that God had promised as the heir that he had told him about. The heir through which a great nation would be made. All the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham's heir. That was Isaac. And now God is saying, Abraham, go kill him. Offer him as a sacrifice. So Abraham took him up the mountain and was there, had him tied up on the altar, was ready to plunge the knife into his only son Isaac, and God stopped him. And in verse 20 or 12, he says, Do not lay a hand on the boy. He said, Do not do anything to him. Now I know. God says to Abraham, Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Now I know. Talk about a test where he had to believe God. The temptation to say, God, come on, this is ridiculous. This is the craziest thing I've ever heard. I, this, this, I, you, know, you know my heart, God. I've, I've been there with you, man. I, I, I've done everything. I mean, I, I prayed to God for the people in Sodom and Gomorrah, and, and, and I talked to you. You said I'm a friend of yours, and you answered prayer. You said I, you would spare that city. There weren't. Ten righteous people there, so God didn't spare the city. But that's the, the friend of God who talked. And now he says, I've done all those things, but to kill my son, to sacrifice the son of promise on the mountain, there's no way. But Abraham believed God, and God says, now I know that you fear God. Now I know that you wholeheartedly trust me. Now I know that you're willing to obey me no matter what. What a, what a story. And then, and then the end of the story is they're still, they need to make a sacrifice. Abraham turns around and there's a ram caught in the, in the, in the bushes and he takes that and offers it as a sacrifice to God and he calls the place Jehovah Jireh. What's that mean? The Lord who provides. The Lord who provides. And God showed his faithfulness and provided the sacrifice. It didn't have to be Abraham. Do you or Isaac, do you believe that the Lord will provide? What an amazing story. We go on in the text in verse 13 of chapter 10, 1 Corinthians. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. God will not tempt you. God will not test you beyond your ability or the resources available to you. He will not tempt you above what you are able. Listen, if God allows a temptation, a test into your life, he knows you can resist it or he wouldn't let it happen. Think about that. 
That's what God said. That's what Paul's saying. If God lets a temptation test into your life, he, it will not be more than you can handle. You will be able to get by. Why? Because otherwise, God wouldn't have let it come into your life. You ever think about that like that? There are temptations and tests that we experience and we just think it's more than we can bear. We just think it's over the top. Nobody else has experienced this like I am. And Paul says, first of all, that's not true. And listen, understand that if God allowed that temptation into your life, he also knows that you can resist it or he wouldn't have allowed it. Because the promise here is there's no temptation that will be beyond what you can bear. None. Because when you are tempted, he continues, he will also provide a way out, a way of escape. Next time you're tempted, understand, remember this. That's why Paul's saying it. I don't want you to be ignorant, church at Corinth. I don't want you to be ignorant, church at Heritage. There's nothing, no temptation that we cannot deal with, that God will allow into our lives that we can't overcome it why because that's what he says when you are tempted he will also provide a way out i've never been into one of those escape rooms i've often wondered we like we like going down to the jersey shore that's no secret and and the ocean city boardwalk and and i've, I've noticed over the last couple of years they have these there's all kinds of uh amusement parks and rides and eating places but they have have these escape room places that you go in and I've never been in and, and, and you pay money. I never could figure this out, but you pay money to get like locked up and somehow so you can see if you can escape. I don't know how it works, but escape rooms. The idea is you go in and there's some kind of mental challenge, whatever, to see if you can figure out how to escape. Well, my guess is that it's not that hard. Everybody can figure it out or they'd have to be paying all of their employees to come in there and rescue people who couldn't escape their escape room, right? You ever think about that? So if you ever wanted to go in one but you're afraid you might get in there for the rest of your life, you don't have to. It just doesn't make sense. Logically, you'd have to be able to escape if you're paying money to try to escape. It has to happen. Better than that. Better than that. By far, Paul is saying there's no temptation that God brings into your life that he will not provide a way out, a means of escape. Wow. And I'm sure you've had temptation in your life that is far greater than any escape room you could ever imagine. And yet God's promises, he will always, 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 always provide a way out, a way of escape. As surely as God tests us, puts temptation into our lives, he always, always provides a way out always provides a way of escape. We can never say with temptation, I couldn't help it. Yes, you can. We can never say, I couldn't help it. No, we can because God always provides a way of escape. 
Why? So that you can endure it. So that you can stand, withstand that temptation and bear up under that temptation, endure that temptation and escape. Now that doesn't mean it's going to be a piece of cake. But it does mean God's promised that we never have to say, I couldn't help it. That's not an excuse because God says, no, you could because I provided an escape, a way out. So what do we do with this? I mean, you might be saying, so what? Well, what do we do with this truth? We hear that about temptation. We hear that about testing. But how do, how, how do we deal with that? Let me give you three quick ways. Cry out to God, number one. When you get facing a temptation that you're just not sure you can handle, when you're facing a temptation that you're just fearful that you're going to fall, that you're going to sin, number one, you start crying out to God. You know, it's interesting that the Lord's Prayer that we call, it's really the prayer that the Lord taught us to pray. You know that in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 9. In verse 9. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Jesus is teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching those believers. And he says, let me tell you how to do it. Let me tell you how you should pray. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy is your name. And then he gets down to um, verse 13. And this is how he's telling them to pray. And lead us not into temptation. Same word as 1 Corinthians 10. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What do we do when we're facing temptation? We pray. Folks, I'm talking serious crying out to God, not just Oh, God, this is really a little bit more difficult than I expected. Would you help me out of this? I'm talking fall on your face, get on your knees, whatever it means. Cry loudly out to God. I bet we do that when our favorite team is losing. Real loud, right? You know what I've never done? It doesn't make... This is not a spiritual issue, so... I'm, I'm not setting my tent, trying to make you think I'm real spiritual. I have never been able to pray for the outcome of a game of my favorite team. I just, you know why? Because it's just a game. It doesn't matter. I, I just can't bring God into that. Now, if you want to pray for your favorite, you feel free. But when it comes to overcoming temptation... We better pray. Lord, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. How serious are you about overcoming temptation? I mean, really crying out to God in prayer. Paul told Peter, James, and John in the garden. When he was crying out the night before he was crucified. Asked him to stay and pray and he came back in there sleeping. Three times that happened but he said in there, he said, watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. 
Because the spirit may be willing, but your flesh is weak. Pray. Secondly, what we need to do is claim the truth. Here I'm talking about the word of God. Claim the truth. We, we ended with verses 14 and 15 last week. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of. What is that? Paul's talking about the word of God. Listen, the word of God is the same for all of us. It doesn't change. It doesn't mean one thing to one person and another thing to another. Otherwise, it wouldn't be the word of God. It wouldn't make sense. How would you know what's true? Of course, that is the world in which we live. We're faced with the fact that nothing is true anymore. There are no absolute. What may be absolute fruit for you is not absolute for truth for me. It doesn't, it may not be. It may be good for you and that's fine. Go your way. But for me, no, 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 I don't see it that way. Listen, that's not God's truth, folks. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, we're told. And the truth of God is there for all of us. And he says, as for you, continue in what you've learned and what you've become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation. It tells you how you can know Jesus. And then he goes on, all scripture is God-breathed. Listen, this isn't just another book. You just don't go buy this at Books A Million or check it out of the library. You can, certainly. But this isn't like any other book. This is the living truth of God that he's given to us to know what to believe and how to live. And it never changes. There's a whole lot of people today who claim to know Jesus who are thinking today that, well, our culture is different. This must be different. No, it's not. You see, when we read about the church at Corinth, it just sounds like you're reading the front page of today's Scranton Times. It's no different. Maybe worse. And we need to claim the truth of the Word of God because Paul says, this is God-breathed. This is a supernatural book. It is not just written by a bunch of men who didn't know what they were doing. No, no, no. This is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, for rebuking. If you're struggling with temptation, he says, for correcting and training in righteousness, it has answers for what we need today. Every temptation so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's nothing in your life that God's going to ask you to do that he won't give you direction as to how to accomplish it. There's no temptation in your life that God's going to place before you that he hasn't provided a way of escape. And we need to claim truth. Truth as we do that. Listen, it's God's authoritative word. Let that sink in for a minute. We say we believe that, folks, but so often it's easy to just let this go in one ear and right out the other. We can't do that. This is God's truth. And if God says it, why do we think it's an option? But that's how we seem to be living today. And then thirdly, he says, call the church. Cry out to God, pray. Claim the truth. Go to the Word. As it relates to going to the Word, claiming the truth, 
David said in Psalm 119, verse 11, he said, Your word, your truth, I have hid in my heart. Why? Why? Why do, we, why do we learn God's word and hide it away in our heart? Why? So that we will not sin against God. But call the church. Folks, I don't mean the office. I'm sure Michelle will be glad to talk with you. And many times she does. She, she knows the truth of the word of God. So she, she ends up talking to people Answering questions, giving counsel, no question. But that's not what I mean. I'm not talking about calling the... I'm talking about calling godly friends. I'm talking about calling the church. Say, how how do I call the church? I I don't... I, I could open the directory. What do you mean? I'm talking about we are the church, right? You and I who know Jesus Christ, we are the church. We, that's what the church is about. We need to be calling one another. We need to be seeking help. We need to be saying, hey, I am struggling. I have this temptation to sin and and I'm really battling it. I need some help. And the writer of the book of Hebrews says in chapter 3, verses 12 and 13, see to it, brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Listen, he's talking to those who know Jesus, brothers and sisters. We battle that. Every one of us can battle that, that temptation to not believe, a sinful, unbelieving heart. Why? Because we look at what's going on around us today and we say, really, God, you're letting this happen? Come on. And we battle... The temptation to to not believe God, to not believe his word. And we need to get on the phone and call a godly friend of ours who knows the word, who can help us. Call the church. That's us. Because he says in verse 13, but encourage one another on Sunday as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. No, it really doesn't say that. Not Sunday, right? No, it says, encourage one another daily. You see, folks, that's why the church isn't 9.30 in this building. It's a service. And that's why we need as the church, as God's people, to be together more than just 9.30 or 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. We need to be together together regularly because we need each other. We need the one another. The scripture is full of one another's. That's why, because that's designed to help us know how to live out the presence of Christ. That's how we know how to be more like Jesus with one another. We, we learn to help one another, to encourage one another, to help each other overcome sin and temptation. You saw Pastor Paul, a video here about community groups. So that's what community groups is all about. Let me just say, if you're not part of a community group, you're missing out on, on an opportunity for you to grow and to become more like Jesus. 
Because those community groups pray together. They hold each other accountable. They're there that you can call and say, man, when, when I'm struggling, when, when I, my heart is weak and I have an unbelieving sinful heart, I can call my friend who knows Jesus and, and, who knows the, and can help me walk through that. That's part of what this is all about. Folks, we need to learn as we're talking here, to call out to God, to claim the truth, to call the church. We claim God's promise that we never have to sin, ever. Because there's no temptation that God allows into your life that he also doesn't provide a way of escape. Why? Because great is God's faithfulness. Father, what an amazing, encouraging promise. What a, what a powerful gift, promise. of your delivering power, of your overcoming power, that we don't have to sin, that we never have to sin, that we never have to say, I just couldn't take it anymore, that we never have to just give up and I couldn't handle it. Oh, God, thank you for your truth that with every temptation you will always, always, always provide a way out, a way of escape. Thank you, Father, for your faithfulness. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.